this episode has probably the least narration from us that we've ever done. Except for this first part, which we are grabbing for ourselves. Yeah, we are taking this little pre-show spot for an ad like we sometimes do, but this time an ad for something we make, TBR. Indeed we are. With TBR, tailored book recommendations, subscribers get personalized book recommendations picked especially for them. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for, link up to your Goodreads profile if you have one, and you're done. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. Love thrillers and want to read more romance? Looking for poetry by writers of color and also maybe some space opera? We've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendation-only level or three new hardcovers, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your quest to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Recommendations only is $15 a quarter or $49 per year. Hardcovers are $75 a quarter plus $4.79 shipping, and annual subscribers get free shipping. And the recommendations only level is available worldwide. Hardcovers, which are delivered in partnership with our friends at Print in Portland, Maine, are available in the U.S. only. Go to mytbr.co to sign up or to find out more. There's also a link in the show notes. All right, now on to the show. I thought about starting this episode very differently. I thought about leading off with news stories about legislation and counter-protests, and it would have made a good intro. Here is a book-related thing that is causing some people to stand outside of libraries and yell, and some lawmakers in Kansas to draft legislation to ban it. But that would have been putting the wrong part first. At least that's what I think. Because the thing causing a small number of people to get very angry is actually something I do with my kids almost every day. Well, almost exactly like it. What'd you pick? Ramona and Beezus. Yeah, do you know who it's by? Beverly, clearly. Right. What'd you pick? What'd you pick, Rowan? I picked all of the other reindeer. And what's it? And what is that about? A dog that turns into a reindeer. Yeah. And it's by. Let's see. Let's look at the book. J. Otto Siebold and Vivian Walsh. Story time but a new kind of story time, and it's sweeping the nation. Hello and welcome to Annotated. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. In this episode, we're going to tell the story of how Drag Queen Story Hour became the hottest thing in the world of libraries, where it came from, who got it going, how it's been received, and the overwhelmingly positive reception it's had. And by the end, we bet you'll be looking for one near you. You've heard his name, but have you read his books? James Patterson has sold more titles than any other author with over 385 million books in print. His latest thriller, The Chef, features Caleb Rooney, a New Orleans police detective by day and celebrity food truck chef by night. In the days leading up to Mardi Gras, Detective Rooney comes under investigation for a murder he's accused of committing while working as a major crimes detective for the New Orleans Police Department. While fighting the investigation and trying to prove his innocence, Detective Rooney discovers a secret plot by terrorists to commit more murders during the city's busiest celebration, Mardi Gras. Rooney knows he must act fast to prove his innocence and to spare the innocent lives in danger. No spoilers, I won't give away the ending, because there are more twists, turns, and tasty New Orleans treats than you can imagine. 
If you're looking for a book to jumpstart your 2019 reading list, The Ultimate Page Turner has arrived and it's The Chef. The Chef is available now in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook everywhere books are sold. Thanks again to The Chef by James Patterson for sponsoring this episode of Annotated. This is the part of the regular episode where we would usually take a couple minutes to give a little context for the subject. But the name speaks for itself here. Drag Queen Story Hour is exactly what it sounds like. A children's story hour where the stories are read by drag queens. It's a pretty simple idea, and one that you can understand in four words. And that simplicity is what helped it get off the ground. When Juliana called me and said Drag Queen Story Hour, I was like, yes, that's the next level. Let's do that. Let's do that right now. This is Bix Warden, who was there at the beginning. I am the children's librarian, full-time children's librarian, at the Eureka Valley Harvey Milk Memorial Branch Library in the Castro. And we are the queer branch library. And that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to work at this branch. And one of the things that I've loved so much about working here is working with queer families and gender queer families and queer and gender queer kids. And one day she got the call about an idea that her library was the perfect place for. Juliano Delgado Lopera, who was the executive director of Radar Productions, contacted me and asked me if our library would like to host a Drag Queen Story Hour. And at that point, there had never been a Drag Queen Story Hour. It, it was the first that anyone had thought of it. Drag Queen Story Hour was originally the idea of Michelle T., the founder of Radar Productions, but she and her family were moving to L.A. And she had this idea. She wanted to do some kind of queer programming for children and families. And she got this brainstorm about Drag Queen Story Hour, but hadn't really fleshed it out or thought how it would look or anything, and it off to Juliana. And so Radar had gotten a grant called Queering the Castro. As part of that grant money, they decided to start this program, uh, which was going to be a limited program. There were going to be three of these Drag Queen Story Hours, two at our library and one at a bookstore. But Warden didn't necessarily think Drag Queen Story Hour was a slam dunk. So, you know, I wasn't sure that, that the library would go for Drag Queen Story Hour, or at least the, the powers that be at my branch. So I um, had contacted one of the librarians, I knew a children's librarian at the main library, and said, you know, I've been approached to do this thing, and if it doesn't get approved from my branch, would you like to do it at the main? And he said, absolutely, I'd love to. I said, okay, great. Just because I wanted to see that it happened. But her branch ultimately did approve, and it was a hit from the very first one, which happened on December 12th, 2015. The first one was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, there were about 40 people at the first one, maybe 45. And it was, you know, a mix of queer families, genderqueer families, straight families, lots of kids. And the, the queen who did it, Persia, although she works with youth in her day job, um, had never done anything like this. She'd never performed for children, certainly not in full drag. And she was nervous. And I said, sweetheart, don't worry. They're going to love you. Warden had the sense that not only was Drag Queen Story Hour something she wanted her library to host, but that also kids would love. Because one thing I've learned as a children's librarian is that children are the greatest audience in the world. And at the end of the program, she was kneeling down and kids were like rushing up to her and hugging her. And even talking about it now, I get goosebumps. That's the magic that happens. The Eureka Valley Harvey Milk Memorial Branch Library has been hosting regular drag queen story hours ever since with increasingly large crowds. We've already had two last month or actually earlier this month. And ours is always in the one. If we just have one, it's always in June for Pride. And we have an open house that day, and so we have a Drag Queen Story Hour when we have the open house. And last 
time we did that, we had about 150 people coming for Drag Race Story Hour. And it's not a very big branch. The growing crowds meant that people were talking and telling more and more people who were coming from farther and farther away. These weren't the kinds of crowds you got just from a flyer on a bulletin board. Word of mouth was happening about a children's story time. There was one time when we had Honey Mahogany, and she had been on RuPaul's Drag Race, and there was a family who said, we came here from Virginia for this program. And they weren't the only out-of-towners at Honey Mahogany's reading. I went to one of the first readings by Honey Mahogany. She's a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race a few years ago. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. This is so cool. This is Jonathan Hamilt, who is now the deputy director of Drag Queen Story Hour. I, at the time, just started doing drag myself. And back in New York, I um, hooked up with one of my friends who worked for Feminist Press, and we kind of came together and collaborated and brought Drag Queen Story Hour to New York City. We did our first reading in New York City at Greenlight Bookstore in Fort Greene, and that was produced and funded by Feminist Press. And then the Brooklyn Public Library came and was like, oh, this is amazing. We need to add this to our programming. So we had a meeting with the, uh, with the Brooklyn Public Library. We were, that was the first library system we were under. And then from then, it just exploded. We had lots of press from The New Yorker, The New York Times, Cosmopolitan, Associated Press. A bunch of big national syndicates covered our story hours, and it just kind of grew. And now we are an international nonprofit where we have chapters in Japan, Tokyo, Sweden, in the UK, Vancouver, and then about 30 or 40 chapters in the US. Explosive growth like that requires both supply and demand, both drag queens and audiences. Let's take the audience side first. Why exactly has this been such a hit with kids? If you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, kids respond to big hair and, you know, over-the-top drama and sequins and bright colors and theatrics and the drama of it all and that's that's all that drag is and if you can entertain adults you can entertain and teach children the same way every time we go into a library space or a school or a bookstore they're like wow this event is so well attended this event always exceeds the number of participants we usually have for a normal story hour so there is a demand for it and people do love it i see these little kids they come in half the time their faces are painted and they're wearing tutus and sparkles on a regular day. And I think that's amazing. They're like princesses. Which, for a drag queen, heck, for any performer, is a great audience. And these performances are an opportunity for drag queens to do a lot more than just entertain. The appeal of Drag Queen Story Hour is drag queens are always thought to be in the nightlife, in the club scene, adult entertainment, which, you know, is, is, the, you know, is the main stay of drag culture to entertain adults and facilitate alcohol sales. Uh, drag queens in general are pillars of the queer community. We rally, we riot, we protest, we entertain. You know, we're big community leaders and bringing drag queens out of nightlife and into a community space where they can give back and a younger generation can have a positive queer role model that's reading for them and doing workshops with them and singing and dancing and promoting, you know, literacy, it, you know, normalizes and incorporates our whole community together. Right. And it's a very radical program, um, totally. regardless of what side you're on. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. And 
I, the personal appeal to me is I recently just started doing drag when I went to a drag queen story hour for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was looking to do drag anywhere, anyhow. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, I'm not a big nightlife person, so <laughs> this is great. I can do it in the daytime. Drag activities for uh, morning, uh, for uh, early birds. Yeah, for right. morning people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, entertaining, you know, sober five-year-olds at 11 p.m. is very different than entertaining drunk adults at 11 p.m. So <laughs> it's a whole different world, but it's a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. Oh, the queens love it, too. Oh, my gosh. Do they love it? They love it. Afterwards, um, we, we've developed this tradition of, of them staying back and, and talking to the families and having their picture taken with the kids. And kids just, the families just line up. And they're just so sweet. I was actually the first drag queen in New York City to read for Drag Queen Story Hour. We did it in Greenlight Bookstore in Fort Greene. It was a bookstore reading. And Feminist Press did a series of feminist fairy tales. And I read uh, Tatterhood. And I, <laughs> I was so nervous. And the room was so full of people. I kind of like, like blocked it out or blacked out during the reading. I just remember opening the book up and then finishing and people clapping and wanting to take photos. It was a very surreal experience. After the first hop from San Francisco to New York, Drag Queen Story Hour spread quickly, so quickly that it was hard to catch up. So from then to now, it's completely gone viral. It's completely blown up. It's all over the world. It's all over this country. I keep seeing new articles about it in different places. Warden was recently on a panel in New York talking about her part in the early Drag Queen Story Hour days when the organizers there showed her something that put into perspective just what a phenomenon it has become. One of the things that they did was they had a slide that I I need to get from them, and it showed all the different places at that time, and we're talking like, you know, almost a year ago, that were having Drag Queen Story Hour, and I was amazed. It was was in England. It was in Ireland. it, It was in Europe. It's just... It's gone. It's everywhere. It's in Canada. Um, every time I hear of a new one, I'm just so happy. I just think it's wonderful. With so many queens and libraries wanting to put on readings, the official Drag Queen Story Hour organization was formed to support all this programming that was suddenly springing up all over the world. DQSH is now a nonprofit, and they provide guidance, tips, and best practices for safe and successful readings. What are a couple of highlights from the tips and tricks? I think from a, we have a couple. I mean, some are for librarians or organizers, but for a drag queen perspective, I learned, I learned a lot reading to kids. So it's like, oh, it's day drag. You might want to bring sunglasses. You might want to wear comfortable shoes. Kids are, sitting, kids are sitting down on the floor. You might be in a chair. So maybe a mini skirt is not the best option. Uh, you know, wear tights. Kids don't get nuances. So if you dress like Joan Crawford, the kids won't get it. So they need a very literal, you know, representation of drag versus some kind of like, you know, thing you have to think about. Right. Yeah. The Catherine Hepburn pantsuit maybe isn't going to, they're not going to get the Yeah. Message. They, the kids aren't really going to get it. With readings now happening outside the relatively safe zones of San Francisco and New York, DQSH has expanded the kind of support they offer. We're communicating more with chapters and seeing what kind of support they have. And we're like, we would love for you to be in a church or a community center or a bookstore who is going to support you 150% and have a vetting process of who comes into these events and promoting it and backing you up, providing security, which a lot of the libraries weren't doing because these organizers were just renting a space. And we definitely 
want everyone to be safe. I think like a radical component of Story Hour is the fact that it's in a public library, and that's really awesome. But if the library isn't supporting the organization completely and fully with a protest, it's not really uh, possible to do that in every community. And, you know, some communities aren't ready for that at all. A lot of libraries are scared of getting their funding shut down or people getting fired or their branches closing. So it's a real threat, apparently, (laughs) to a lot of people. There has been resistance to Drag Queen Story Hour. The most severe case happened last month when a man carrying a concealed weapon was removed from a Houston area library while protesting the monthly Drag Queen Story Hour there. And just 10 days ago, as we record this, another protest took place outside of a library hosting a drag queen story hour in Brentwood, California. They had about 25 protesters, including one man who came in with a concealed carry permit who did have a gun. But the police were able to get him out of the library without any further problems. But they had 500 people show up for drag queen story hour. So that shows you that although there is a level of pushback, the enthusiasm for this program is enormous. And that's what I point to. You know, there's 25 people outside that little library in Contra Costa County who don't want, who actively really don't want this to happen. But there's 500 people who are thrilled about it and are, you know, jockeying for positions so they can get in and see it. DQSH sees the audience for children's readings as just part of its advocacy now, though, and that they have even more to offer. Well, Jackson Story Hour has expanded to more than just reading to kids. We And New York City is our headquarters, so we do bilingual readings. We do readings for kids with autism and other special needs. We just expanded our programming to middle and high schoolers, where we do makeup tutorials, design workshops, and book clubs. And if any of this sounds like something you want to be a part of, you can look for your local chapter at dragqueenstoryhour.org. And if there isn't a local chapter, well... Starting a Drag Queen's Road chapter is really easy. You would just need to talk to me <laughs> and kind of go over a game plan or outline. I want to know about your community, your space, who's involved, who's excited about it, and helping a chapter roll out um, their first story hour. We have performer guidelines. We have talking points. We have tips and tricks. We would give you our logos to use, our successes and how to fundraise for your own local chapter, and we add you to our events calendar and our national or international website. And then we send you a welcome packet with our activity book and stickers and postcards and kind of keep in touch with you throughout the year. This episode of Annotated was written and produced by me, Jeff O'Neill. Sound editing and design by Kyle O'Neill. My thanks to Bix Warden and Jonathan Hamilt. You can find out more about Drag Queen Story Hour at dragqueenstoryhour.org. Bix Warden's list of suggested books for queens to read during Story Hour is really fantastic, and you can find a link to it in our show notes here. You can help more people discover Annotated by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. And if you're on Instagram, you can follow Annotated at... Annotated FM. Until next time, read something great.